Hi, I'm Dirk Friel, co-founder of Training Peaks, and you're listening to the Training Peaks Coachcast. I'll be sitting down with expert endurance coaches and amazing athletes, each with special stories to tell. At its heart, Training Peaks is about helping you create the best journey possible towards your endurance goals. We hope these stories inspire you to get out there, train with purpose, and never be afraid to sign up for that next big challenge. My guest today is Dr. Justin Ross. He's a clinical psychologist in Denver, Colorado, specializing in athlete mental health and performance. He helps address issues such as anxiety, depression, disordered eating, and insomnia. He aims to develop high-performance sports psychology skills within any field of play and helps athletes manage the psychological impact of injury or transition back into their sport. Dr. Ross is an athlete himself and has competed in Ironman 70.3s, as well as having qualified for the Boston Marathon six times with a personal best of 257. His 2022 race plans include the Silver Rush and Leadville 100 mountain bike races, followed by the Berlin and London marathons. I hope you enjoy the show, can learn a few things that can benefit your own training. Dr. Justin Ross, thanks so much for joining me today. Uh, I think uh, originally, if, and for those longtime viewers of the show, you know, on YouTube, um, we usually do this at the Training Peaks office. And Justin and I were planning to do this in person, but a little thing called COVID <laughs> came along and struck me uh, right where it counted. And I got COVID last week. So here we are doing this virtually. I'm in the, my basement. So I guess this is the, uh, the way you're supposed to do podcasts, <laughs> right? Everybody's in their this basement. How podcasting started. Here we are. Exactly. So awesome. Hey, thanks. Thanks again for joining me and being, uh, being flexible. I'm looking forward to today's conversation. Uh, give us some background on, on your practice and, uh, you know, what kind of athletes you're seeing and, what do you enjoy doing these days within uh, your your day yeah. job? Well, Dirk, thanks so much for um, for the invite and for being here today. It's it's great. So my name is Dr. Ross. I'm a clinical psychologist, and I specialize in health and wellness and in human performance. Um, and so I've really been interested in the psychological application, the mental health impact for athletes across sports and across disciplines, and really across um, competitive level. So to that end, I work with, um, I'm a vetted provider for the NFL and the NBA, um, and I've worked with literally baseball teams and youth sports and just about everybody in between. I love endurance sports and endurance athletes because that's the really the arena that I play in, um, both running and cycling. And so I, I think I understand that from just a personal experience and what goes into that. And there are definitely some unique psychological attributes and skills that uh, endurance athletes can be working on to to not only enhance their performance but also to enjoy their sport. Yeah, and this is, I mean, all ages. I assume you're you're. Seeing. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I had uh, last week. I was working with uh, a teenager getting ready to run the Prefontaine Classic out in Oregon, um, and I work yeah. with a lot of you know uh, Olympic level athletes, a lot of recreational amateurs. Um, I'm contributing on the from the ground up project. This year they just they just did um, Unbound and they're getting ready for Leadville. So yeah, I yeah I, I, I get to work wow. with a lot of different 
um, athletes a- across the age spectrum and, a- and across the competitive level spectrum. So it's, it's a ton of fun for me. Yeah. Well, yeah. From the ground up, those are first timers essentially, yeah. right? Just jumping into some big, big name races, unbound Leadville, uh, probably I'd imagine a lot of anxiety kind of exists there taking on such a big challenge. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so one of the four athletes is, is a return athlete from last year. And the other three are coming at it for the very first time. So they just had a, a overwhelmingly successful time at Unbound in finishing their their distances, yeah. and yeah, now they're turning wow. to Leadville, which, um, as a lot of listeners know, that's a, that's a big day and a big challenge. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, this is going to be a little bit of a, a definitely, I guess, a session for myself. Uh, as you know, I want to jump into obviously being an athlete part of being an athlete, unfortunately, is dealing with injury and sickness. And here I am, you know, trying to be an athlete. I had all these races I was signed up for. I just came off a training camp, a mountain bike training camp. Um, I'm supposed to be going into another kind of big phase um, next week. Um, As I look towards July 4th, Firecracker 50 mountain bike race, um, there's a local uh, gravel race here called Ned Gravel, which I was second last year in the Masters, and all leading up towards Steamboat Gravel, which actually won the Masters Blue Course last year. So that was my main goal for the year was to prepare for Steamboat Gravel and try and podium again. And here I am getting over COVID, um, but I have you know scary thoughts of it potentially affecting my heart, myocarditis, you know, and Lord, I, I think I was actually, you know, in one of the stages, absolutely, that, that you may, may cover here, but I was definitely in a denial state um, for the very first part of being sick. I thought, I started going to what workout should I do to regain fitness? You know, what FTP workout should I do? What type of intensity? And then finally, like day three, it hit me like, what are you talking <laughs> about? Right. Just get out of that frame of mind and let's just take it easy for a number of weeks. So that's kind of, and and I, you know, I kind of wrote down my words and how I kind of evolved, but before I get to that, I'd love to kind of open up to you in terms of, um, you know, what are those stages that you see with athletes as they deal with injury and sickness and and how do you help them through those stages? Well, sorry to hear that you got hit with the COVID and, I'm uh, glad to hear you recovering. And I think just, just hearing you talk through your experience is very common. So the starting point for me is we have to recognize that the psychological impact of illness or injury is absolutely profound for an athlete of any caliber. Amateur athletes, we put a lot of our time, a lot of our energy, and a lot of our identity goes into our sport. And when that gets threatened, either through illness or injury, we're going to have some impact. So we think about it from a stage perspective. We think about there being really sort of three stages that are both physiological and also psychological. And so the first stage is sort of like the acute illness or the acute injury phase, right? And this is when you first get struck down, right? So you get hit with the bug, you get hit with the injury. And this first stage is often met with a lot of what you're talking about, Dirk, right? We could have a lot of this like, well, all right, I can take a couple of days off, but how do I get back? right? We want to retain our identity. We want to retain our fitness and we're worried about getting too far behind, right? So that first stage, whether it's illness or injury is often met psychologically with a lot of anger, 
frustration uh, and questioning, right? Gosh, I don't know. What is this really going to look like? Yeah. How long is this going to last? How long am I going to be out? And so with, with that first stage, we have to understand that uh, that the sense of loss is a huge driver of potential sadness and frustration with uncertainty. When we don't know uncertainty is the number one driver of anxiety that we have as human beings, both in and out of sport. And when you put those two things together on top of feeling kind of crummy, right? Just not feeling good. It's a really hard starting point. So that's stage one is a broad overview. Stage two is sort of the active recovery period. Right. And this is where you're, you're maybe like you had said earlier, I'm a couple days in bed. And so I'm, I'm actively taking care of the physiological injury or illness. Right. So with that comes this sort of recalibration around what you're doing. Right. And that could be really hard because it's disruptive to our plans. Like, Oh, I'm, I'm not going to be able to do that race. I'm not going to be able to do this training block. And again, what's often hit in that second phase is there's more information. You're a little bit more clear on what needs to happen, but the impact, especially on our identity, is sizable, right? The deeper the level of that identity loss with our events, with our races, with our training, the deeper the identity attachment to those things, the bigger the psychological impact. The third phase. Yeah, oh yeah I mean, go ahead, go ahead, please. Sorry, when you, when you said ID, I also thought the social aspect you know, I'm not there for the Tuesday morning group ride or whatever it might be. I'm not, I'm connecting with my, with my ride buddies through text and saying, what time can we ride tomorrow? So it's just like all of a sudden a whole bunch of your social identity is also kind of just evaporates almost overnight. I mean, they'll check in on you and yeah. see how you're doing, but you're not out there rubbing shoulders and, and enjoying the ride and kind of that social aspect is gone as well. Absolutely. So that identity ID goes deep into that. And so I think like you think about pillars, you have your family work, kind of this other social, and it's almost like one of the pillars just falls, falls apart. Absolutely. And it's such a vital pillar because you're right. It's, it's not just your own individual identity. It's your community connection. It's your, in a lot of ways, your social calendar, and it's a right. huge amount of time, right? So let's just say you're, you're training 10 hours a week, 15 hours a week, 20 hours a week, whatever it may be all of a sudden you have this huge expanse of time that just opens up. And with all of those losses, loss of self-identity, loss of community, loss of social connection, people can find themselves in a, in a very sad place very quickly. Again, it's really important. Yeah. We normalize that with loss comes sadness. That's just how it works psychologically for all human beings. The deeper the identity, the deeper the loss, the deeper the impact. Right. Yeah. And, so, and sorry, you're going to go into the third, third, third phase stage? is commonly referred to as just the return to sport phase. Right. And so this is oh. where, okay, we're, we're now sort of recovered enough that we can get back to training. And yet often what we see is this is the phase that has maybe the most anxiety out of the, out of the other two for a couple of reasons. One is we don't often know how we're going to perform, right? Gosh, I just got hit with this thing. I was out for X amount of time. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get back to my form, right? So we're worried about that. Mm -hmm. We're worried about how long it may take to regain fitness, right? We're, we're worried that we may, um, you know, we may, if, if it's an injury um, in endurance sports, we're often worried about getting re-injured, right? What if I blow my, you know, my stress fracture up again? 
And so this is a phase that often the community will look at and say like, yeah, man, you're back. Let's go. Like, it's so good to see you. And in your mind, it can be a very private thing of saying like, oh gosh, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I should push it here. I'm worried about the long-term effects of COVID. How far do I go and where do I push it? And where do I just really make sure that I'm getting back in a healthy way? Yeah, this is where definitely expert advice can be um, a really good thing to seek out to have that third party that maybe has seen it before worked with folks with that injury and sickness and can help advise on that recovery plan, you know, and, and like I said, I was in complete denial. I'm, you know, this is just a cold. I, I can start intensity maybe five days from now, right. When I feel really good. And then it set in like reading the studies and the long COVID effects and just might as well just take it safe. So I kind of just put in a governor. I'm going to just keep it in zone one and two for eight weeks and not do any higher intensity and just keep it very, very aerobic. And if it's not feeling good, you know, I can just pull the pin. So I think I've went from denial to reality to like, okay, can I actually make this of benefit to me? Could I actually possibly come out of this in a way stronger? Um, meaning that I can lay a better foundation. Um, maybe I can do some more strength work. You know, I'm not going to get my heart rate up. Maybe I can do some more squats, right? Some, some more basic strength core work that I really have been ignoring. So maybe I can round out my training in a different way. Um, and you know, I think it's just, uh, it, it is really, really tough. I think the biggest thing that, that I had to do was go in and tell race organizers like, Hey, I understand you're you know, I don't need a refund, but can you donate my entry to somebody in need, you know, to, to some athlete that, that, you know, could really cherish my entry. So I've had to pull out of events. So that was really the the hardest thing to do. Um, but yeah, I'd rather be fit and fast for the next decade than try and focus on this year's results. You know, despite all of that, there is a hidden opportunity in, injury and illness for us as athletes. And, you know, there's a saying, and I I don't want to dismiss anybody's hardship, but never let a good crisis go to waste. And really what it is, is for us individually, it gives us this opportunity to, to clarify what matters and to take a broader, bigger, longer road perspective on who we are as individuals and what sport means to us. And so if we can sacrifice this year's goals and recognize that with that sacrifice, again, loss, sadness, but to recalibrate for the long-term picture, I want to be a lifelong athlete personally. That's just me, right? I want to be able to be doing this forever. And so if I have to let go of the next week, season, whatever, we have to have that perspective. And when we're really injured or really sick, we, we have to do that cognitive work. And it requires a both and approach. We have to recognize both the distress that we may be feeling in the loss of the season and the anxiety and not knowing when we're going to get back with the appreciation and the gratitude and the opportunity for being able to do this over a lifetime. Yeah, absolutely. That perspective is so, so key. And that's why I tried to think about lately. Um, As I said, you know, I want to be competitive for the next few decades. I, I mean, I look up to my father, who's still amazing, you know, and in his seventies. So I definitely, you know, have that long-term perspective 
Um, but again, those pillars, you know, and if you can go back to the family work, sometimes putting more energy into those areas can be very satisfying. Um, and they should be satisfying, right? And if, if they aren't, yeah. so maybe some more focus there can, can do one good um, to refocus some of those hours spent, you know, in other areas of life. Um, but it can be very tough. That loss of, um, you know, identity is so big. And just as you mentioned, the the unknown, you know, how, how will I be eight weeks from now? Am I going to be completely fine or is I, or is it, you know, still lingering effects? So definitely, um, definitely good to kind of talk about that with, you know, some, some expert. And I really appreciate that feedback and I'm still trying to deal with it, obviously yeah. myself. Um, you know, one or another area to kind of like turn to and learn from is attention control. And you, you talk about like, how, you know, keeping focus within the race and in training, internal, external, broad, narrow, yeah. you know, and like, first of all, what is attention control and why does it even yeah. matter? Why should I even know this thing exists or even co contemplate improving my skills? Well, for, for me, I think attention control is really the starting point for developing a sports psychology framework. And the truth is our mind and our thoughts, are, they're always working when we're on the bike, when we're in our running shoes, when we're in our skis, we're, we're always processing information. And yet we're not often guided with a framework for how to do this in a way that could be helpful. So the idea around attentional control, very, very simply put, is that whatever we focus on, whatever we pay attention to, whatever we're concentrating on, we're very likely going to get more of that. Now, as that relates to endurance sports, there's this bigger, broader model called the psychobiological model of endurance performance, which is basically our understanding that the, the relationship we have with, with discomfort, the relationship we have with our goals, and the relationship we have with our cognitive appraisal, how we're making sense of things, how we're making sense of data on our watch, how we're talking to ourselves about what we're feeling in our bodies, those are all elements that are going to sort of tip us one way or another when it comes decision time, right? Like I either need to keep going, I need to mm -hmm. slow down, I need to speed up. So the starting right. point for all of that is learning what you're paying attention to. So the framework has, it's sort of like thinking about a box, right? That has four quadrants. And so there's two areas. There's this idea of having internal focus and external focus. And then there's an idea of being it broad or narrow. And when you put those things together, you get these four overlapping ideas, right? So the idea here is you can have a broad external focus. You're out there probably just taking it easy, paying attention to the world around you. So you can notice like the birds chirping and your feet moving and maybe traffic around you or people around you. And you just kind of like weave in and out to all of these sensations, right? Broad external. You can have broad internal as well. Like I have a general sense of my mood my energy, my thoughts, I'm reviewing work, I'm reviewing my training for the day, I'm thinking about the race, I can feel, you know, my body and my position and my posture, but nothing, anything specific. But then you can flip that internal, uh, or I'm sorry, external narrow is, I'm really just looking mm -hmm. at that next tree, all my energy, I'm just focused on that, or I was in a group ride this morning, I'm just on my guy's wheel, that's I'm just focused on that and the road in front of me. So I'm deeply focused on what's external to me. We can do that internally as well. I'm deeply focused on this little niggle in my knee or this one repetitive thought. 
And the idea behind this is as you're out training to just sort of allow your attention to spin on those four things, it's going to happen naturally, but you can learn that you can lean into each of those areas. And there's going to be a time and a place to do that deliberately. The deliberate control around attentional control is really what it's all about. And when we get to that internal narrow, that's the game of self-talk. That's the messaging. That's how we're encouraging ourselves or appraising what's happening. That's going to be vital to performing well when we want to. Do athletes have a tendency via their personality to have a strength or weakness in in these quadrants? It's a really great question. And I, I think it varies by person. Absolutely. And I think we all do this to some extent. And what you'll notice is that the folks who are executing really, really well have amazing mastery and command over that internal narrow focus. The folks who are often falling off the back, not executing their ultimate goals, are somehow talking themselves out of those moments of execution, right? And that, again, that's the area that I think has the most vital impact for how we perform when it matters most. Mm. I see advantages to having expertise in all four areas. I, I, I have seen many instances where you're too internally narrow focused and you're com- and triathlon may not be a great example, but something more like a dynamic strategic, like bike race where there's actually external um, strategy happening, maybe from other teams. And so if you're very narrow, internally focused on your stomach problem or whatever it might be, all this dynamic strategy is happening around you and things are formulating in the field of play that are going to directly affect your result, but you may not see it at all. And I've seen that many times where, you know, an athlete is way too focused maybe on their, their numbers who cares about your power when the strategy is this over here and something else is happening that you need to turn your attention externally kind of broad and, and react to that. Um, so I've definitely seen, seen that where, you know, to be able to switch from one, you know, quadrant mm-hmm. to another, um, quickly and, and realize it, um, can be a big advantage too. And it's, it's important. The reason that you play with this in training is that you have to know when to apply each of those areas, right? So you're right. If you are right. staring at your power numbers and you're on a, a group ride and then all of a sudden you look up and you got dropped on the hill because you weren't paying attention to the group dynamics, well, that's going to cost you. Right. It's, it's going to cost you in training. It's going to cost you even more in a racing environment. And so it's important yeah. to know like the, the key about all of this is you have to know when to apply each area and you have to have skill and being able to stay in the right quadrant at the right time. Yeah. You know, I just thought of a good triathlon example of the same thing. If you're very narrowly focused um, internally, but if you're more broadly externally focused, you, you would see that we're going to turn up here a 90 degree turn. And Oh, by the way, we have a really strong headwind right now, you know, and we're going to turn into, I don't know, a crazy tailwind or something. Um, or, you know, this big rain cloud is coming, you know, it's sort of like preparing for what's going to come 
weather-wise might be something you have to anticipate, you know, with, within a triathlon, like on the bike. Um, so kind of being aware of that, or you're approaching a group, you know, there's a, a really gnarly t- turn coming up and you're approaching a group, you know, how am I going to navigate mm-hmm. through this group is another kind of a way to shift, um, more broad external. Mm-hmm. So, um, how, how might you, uh, apply that within training, any kind of, you know, protocols yeah. that you're asking athletes to do uh, Absolutely. So I, I do think as it relates to performance psychology skills, just in general, like the general rule of thumb is every time you're out, every training day, you need to really be focusing five minutes, 10 minutes on applying some skill, right? People often want to talk about like, how do you get mentally tough, right? That's like the buzzword with, within this space. Well, it's, it's what you do day yeah. in and day out of training. It's what you do in hard moments, how yeah. you show up, how you talk to yourself, how you pull yourself through. That's how you develop performance psychology. And so every training ride, even if it's a zone one, zone two effort, you take five minutes in the middle of your ride or your run, and you say, these are five minutes I'm going to dedicate towards purposely working on shifting my attention, right? And I always start broad external first. So start with the world around you. That's probably what you're like most able to just tap into and not really pay attention to at the same time. But spend a moment there, like hear the birds, feel the wind, see the things, right? Notice people around you. Just allow your attention to kind of hit all of those. And then you move to that internal, right? Focusing on one thing. I'm just going to narrow in on that tree and spend all my time and energy getting there. And when I get there, I'm going to let it go and go back to broad. And then you shift it to internal, internal broad. What's going on with me today? Where's my head? What am I thinking about? How am I appraising this effort? And then you narrow that down. I'm going to focus on one specific thing of self-talk or focus on one specific uh, body part that I'm feeling that I can really notice. And then you do that. That's five minute practice, but it's going to help over the course, like all training. It's over the course of time that you do that consistently, that you build that muscle of attentional control. Yeah, it's definitely a muscle. I mean, when you're a lot of listeners are out there training for five plus hour type events, you know, it's okay to have the mind wander, uh, you know, a bit during those sessions. Um, but then, you know, to be able to come back and say, Hey, wait, it, what's the purpose of today's workout? And am I still hitting the purpose of today's workout? You know, what do my numbers say? You know, that that's a good barometer of my cadence, my power, my heart rate, whatever it might be. Um, but to be able to like come back and get grounded and focus in definitely instead of just haphazardly letting, you know, the workout take care of itself without any kind of, uh, monitoring going on. So, um, good, good examples of things to take, to think about out on the next long ride for sure. Um, and then, you know, I think another thing that athletes really, really deal with, you know, we're talking about, uh, workouts is certainly, we've mentioned it already, some anxiety and preparing for, you know, hard workouts or even on the start line, that's a, I, I met an, a pro athlete once after U.S. Pro Championships when I was a professional cyclist, and I flew home with her on the next day on the plane ride and come to find out she could not eat breakfast. The morning of a 100-mile you know, road race, her national championship, so much anxiety that she could not even stand to have breakfast yeah. that day. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, walk me through, you know, how you might work with an athlete in that type of situation where they just build up all kinds of anxiety around 
a race day or a hard workout? And how might you break that down and and help them through those stages of dealing with anxiety? Yeah, it's it's a great question. I'm really glad you you brought up anxiety before a hard workout because it's, it's not just anxiety like race day anxiety. We know that there's plenty of anxiety that can go into preloading a hard session. So I always start with with trying to educate on the building blocks of anxiety. And, and there are three things that occur that build anxiety, again, both in and out of sport. This is a human experience. So the first is unpredictability, right? I'm not really sure what's going to happen here, right? I don't know how it's going to go. I don't really know how my competitors are going to show up. I don't know how... I'm going to respond to the stress of the day. When you insert unpredictability, that's part one. With racing, it's like ah, weather. There's an element there. With bikes, there's ah, is my bike going to perform, GI system. There's so many elements of unpredictability. Building block number two is feeling a sense of not having control. There's nothing I can really do about it, right? Like if I get to mile 80 and I have a mechanical, like I, I can't control that right now in this moment, right? I can't control how I'm going to feel three hours from now right? I can't control how my competitors show up. So when there's an element of lack of control, that's building block number two. And then the third is a threat to something that we value, right? A threat to something we care about. And again, like we're talking about with illness and injury, it's not the illness or injury that's the problem. It's the threat to our value system. It's a threat to our identity. And the deeper we tie our outcome performance to who we are as individuals, the deeper the potential threat. Because it's not just about my um, my race time. It's about my identity, right? That's a reflection of who I am as an athlete, who I am as a person. The deeper that identity, the deeper that threat, the more the impact. And it's really important to understand that anxiety yeah. has a very deep physiological reaction in our bodies, right? We've all heard of the fight or flight response, right? And this is our sympathetic nervous system responding to threat. It's no different than if you were in a car crash or if you're in the foothills of Colorado and you see a mountain lion, right? Like your body is going to react physiologically in a fear-based way to, to, your, to your being threatened. Anxiety is the same thing it develops in our mind, right? We have the same physiology. So the reason that athlete couldn't eat was because that sympathetic nervous system was hyper aroused, right? And unable to take in anything, right? So the work around this, the, the reason I bring this up, first and foremost, we have to normalize it as a deeply human experience, right? You should feel a little bit keyed up before a big race or before a big session. It means you care, right? That's the starting point. Yeah. It means you care. The offset to anxiety, again, both sport and life, is not to take anxiety away. I see too many people try to convince themselves, oh, it doesn't really matter, right? It doesn't really matter how I do bogus. It does matter how you do. It's okay. The offset to anxiety is always trust, right? And if you can build trust, what it does is it starts to just even it out. And where we build trust is three ways. So one is cliche, right? Trust your training. We hear that all the time, but really what we're focusing on is trust something specific about your training. So when you look at this most recent training block, as you get ready for this event, What do you look at that points you in the direction to know you're ready? Oh, I can look back. This is why training peaks is so great. You have all the data, right? You can look back and say like, oh, look at my volume numbers, right? Look at my intensity, right? Look at how much time, pace, whatever it may be, the numbers that matter to you. 
but also in those reminders of like, I showed up and these were a lot of those hard workouts. I remember being mentally tough, gutting through a hard workout, staying with it. Trust something about your training. You extrapolate that one level further and it's, what do you trust about who you are as an athlete in a general, in general? Oh, I've been doing this, you know, for a whole bunch of years. I've done a lot of races. I know what it's like to be uncomfortable and I know that I can rise to the occasion, right? I've had all of these events. I remember all of these moments where I stuck with it when it was hard. The third is then mm-hmm. trust something about who you are as a human being, right? Big, broad level. And we've all gone through life with hardship, right? Nobody's gotten here unscathed. And sometimes it's reminding ourselves of those hardships that we've experienced and the things we've done to be resilient to get through them that help us remind ourselves, like, I can do this on a bike, in my running shoes, in the water, whatever it may be for the next one hour, 10 hour, two days, whatever it may be. I I have what it takes to be successful. And the more you do that, it's not going to take anxiety away, but it reminds you that you're prepared. You're prepared now and you're prepared based on your life events. Yeah. When you say trust and all in the three different areas, you know, I think of confidence Mm -hmm. and you know, when I was coaching, working with athletes, I tried to build confidence within them via the workouts and to say, Hey, look what you did, you know, last week. And how does that compare to what we expect to see on race day? Okay. We're probably going to see higher numbers on race day, but that's actually where anxiety can help you. You know, it can, those butterflies can actually help elevate you know, the performance as well. That's why we race. And sometimes you see your best times, obviously you want to see your personal best on race day. Um, so training can help build that confidence. I also, when you mentioned, you know, looking into training peaks, you know, I think about ideally we have the data from last year's races, you know, and when we go into year two of collecting data, the data is infinitely more powerful because now you have the data to compare against. If you have a blank slate, you have, you really don't know the demands really per se yet, but once you've collected one or more years of the data, especially the race data, that's where you can, you know, hone in on, in the training on the demands of the race and hence back to the micro level of building confidence through the training and saying, Hey, you did this in training. We saw this in the race last year. This is what you did. You've improved in these areas. We expect to see this on race day. Um, let, let yourself shine. So yeah, that anxiety is still there, but yet building that confidence from within that I've, I've, I've managed parts of this Mm -hmm. before, you know, and it can come together again in the future. Um, and, and so a little bit more on, on the broad side, on the human being side, you know, how does this, when I think about that, I think about like all the investment of my family, all the sacrifices, you know, that have gone into this event or myself as an athlete, and I don't want to let them down. Mm -hmm. So like, how do you build that? I guess like that's sometimes the biggest, biggest anxiety of all is, uh, letting down your spouse (laughs) and they've sacrificed so much, you know, if I don't, if if I don't succeed, what are they going to think of me? Yeah. It's, and that can quickly come back and be one of those anxiety questions that we all ask ourselves. And I think to one of the things you said that it's so important for, for all coaches is when you're building a training plan, you're not only building these, these opportunities for physiological adaptation, 
But really what you're encouraging somebody is you're testing them in both mind and body. And so the power of reflection after those workouts is as a coach, what did you learn? What are you taking away? And every single time, right? Every workout needs to have a five to 10 minutes of mental skills. It needs to have that reflection piece so that when you get to race day, it's like, remember, we talked about this. Remember that workout you did in June, right? And it was really, really hard and you didn't think you could do it and you showed up. Well, not only here are the numbers, but I I want you to remember that place, both in your body, in your mind. How did you do that? You're going to do it again, right? You're building confidence through two things, doing hard things on (laughs) purpose and having this credible self-talk that reminds you that you're capable of, of engaging in, in hard things. Yeah, absolutely. How about, you know, how can we potentially do some mindfulness exercises or how might you, I mean, just in general mindfulness within training itself, but then that could probably hone, hone in on, on race day, you know, the night before the race, the morning of the race, um, any advice around, around some practices around yeah. mindfulness? Yeah, mindfulness is, is great. And it's the reminder again, that we can regulate our nervous system. We can regulate the stress response through breathing. So breathing is this information system that will communicate to our minds and to our bodies if we're in a threat state or not. And so often that threat state pre-race, pre-training comes from mental appraisal. We start getting worked up about it and our bodies is going to react. Our bodies are going to produce stress hormones, cortisol, and adrenaline in relationship to those thoughts. So if we get to our, our bodies and the research is going to show that one minute of slow, deep rhythmic breathing is going to turn off that sympathetic nervous system. It's going to activate your parasympathetic branch of your autonomic nervous system in just one minute of slow, deep rhythmic breathing right? And so what it does is it dampens you down, right? Cortisol, adrenaline, your heart rate evens out. Heart rate variability is going to become coherent within one minute of slow, deep breathing, right? Once your body is there, then you can go through this thought exercise, right? It's hard to tell yourself that everything is safe and going to be okay when everything is so activated and on high alert. So breathing's critical, right? And there's so many ways to practice mindfulness now, um, through through apps, right? My favorite app is Insight Timer because it's completely free if you want it to be. I've got a number of, uh, as a coach, a number of practices that are recorded on there, including a pre-race meditation exercise for this exact reason. Hmm. Very cool. Um, it's funny when I think about anxiety, kind of comes back to attention control as well. So I'm getting worked up. I'm getting anxious. Oh Lord, oh Lord. And then I'm like, okay, can I narrowly focus internally on something or externally narrow focus on, okay, this is just what I need to do right now. And and if if I can like, just personally, if I can focus in on this task at hand, it almost just frees my mind of the anxiety. I can try and just, if I focus hard enough or I'm, Again, maybe mindfulness, you know, focus hard enough. It sort of just like let all that other fear go aside. Um, So again, that takes practice. It can't just be done on the moment, race morning. And the more you do it, right, the more that becomes a muscle, right? And again, attentional control, I think about 
It's like skiing in the trees or mountain biking on a technical trail. Your, your bike, your skis, your body are going to go where you're focused on. So if you're skiing and you're looking at a tree, you're going to gravitate towards the tree. You don't ignore the tree. You don't pretend it doesn't exist, but you look for your turn instead. It's like, Oh, I'm going here. And then I'm going there. The mind is the same thing. Like all these stressors, all these anxiety pillars are there, but let me focus on what I can control. Oh, I can control my breathing. Let me slow that down. I can control on reminding myself, trusting that I'm ready. I've done the work. I'm going to be successful. And then you could focus on the environment around you, slow, deep breaths. And one of the beautiful things about this community of endurance sports is the, the feeling at, at the expo, at the race, at the start line. There's that energy there. It's a beautiful yeah. thing. And if you can regulate it, you can tap into that spirit of why we're all doing this in the first place. You know, something that just hit me, you know, we, we think racing anxiety is a really, you know, a big deal and the stress and everything, but then it's just a triathlon. It's just a marathon. Have you worked with any mountaineers that, you know, I mean, it is serious life and death, you know, sometimes if you don't succeed, it means you die. Um, you know, dealing, you know, and some, their ability to focus in on the task at hand and the hitting the ice correctly with the ice pick and, you know, the, you know, getting up with the, this ice falls or whatever it might be, you know, that's a serious, serious event where you need to set aside and just focus yeah. in any experience working with like Mountaineers. They, and they have deep alignment with deep focus. Right. And the, the alignment right. is with movement and body and attention, right? Because the stakes are high. And when they're up there, for example, they're not looking down saying, oh gosh, right. They're saying my next move is right, right here. Let me focus on that. Right. Bing. There we go. Oh, my next move is here. How's my breath? Okay. Breath. Oh, now I go. Right. And so it's very yeah. deliberate and the dangers around them, right. the dangers, you know, like, right there, but they're not looking at it saying, Oh my God, they're, they're focused on what's next. Right. And we can take something from that. That attentional control is, yeah. is practiced. It's mindful and it's alignment with what your body needs, what your mind needs, where your focus needs to be in that moment. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome stuff. You know, I'd love to wrap up here with uh, maybe some key takeaways from the three areas we went through and kind of you know, some quick thoughts around injury, sickness, um, how, you know, someone is dealing with something right now, you know, what are the couple things to to focus on? Well, my first takeaway is always the mind is a highly trainable skill. And we need to think about training our minds in as much similarity as we think about training our bodies, right? Deliberately on purpose with the specifics of whatever event is top of mind. And we need to do that on a regular basis. Now, it doesn't need to be cumbersome. Five minutes a day in your training with a little reflection on the backside is going to do wonders for you consistently over the course of time. So that's part one. Part two is we have to understand that like what we're experiencing is deeply human first and foremost. If you're injured or if you're ill and it's bothering you, it should be, right? It means you care. It means you're having a natural human reaction to something you care about being taken away and being threatened moving forward. So we need to sort of like, like wipe the slate clean and say like, okay, it's normal for this to happen. We have to give ourselves permission for that. And we have to understand this framework of how things typically unfold in that process. 
And then the third thing is um, it's okay to, to get support through this, right? Get support with your coaches. If you're a coach and you want to learn more, there's plenty of ways to learn or enhance your coaching practice with your athletes through applying some of these methods in your training. If you're an athlete and you want to get better, there's plenty of ways to do that. Reach out and work with, with a professional. I see a lot of people once, right? Or twice. And we develop an idea here, things to implement, and you're on your way. And those things can do wonders. Yeah. Uh, attention control. Yeah. Any kind of a absolutely last, so last. one thing I, I really, and I challenge people to do this out of sport. You can do it in sport, but just as you go about the business of your day, pay attention to those four quadrants and notice where you spend most of your time and energy. And it's one of my favorite sayings is you cannot change what you're not aware of. So almost all of this starts by being aware of what's naturally happening. And so if you're noticing like, oh, I spend a lot of my time in my own head, like when you notice that, say like, all right, what can I do? Let me expand my focus. Let me just observe externally broadly what's going on around me, right? Let me look for something in my environment that I've never seen before. You know, you're in that office a lot, but look for something, a little texture thing that you can see that you maybe, maybe wouldn't have otherwise noticed. You do that in your life in general, but take five to 10 minutes of every training session and just walk through that little cadence in each of those areas and again, consistently over time, it's really going to help you perform and execute well when you want to. Cool. And any thoughts on uh, managing workout race day yeah. anxiety? Again, it's normal. So uh, give yourself permission to feel it. I would, uh, I usually recommend athletes write these three things down when you're feeling anxious. What feels unpredictable? What feels as though you don't have control? And what feels as though it's being threatened? And then offset that with trust. What do you trust to be true about your training right right now? What do you trust about who you are as an athlete? And what do you trust on the human level for how you do hard things, right? So the, the mm. underlying premise there is self-efficacy, our belief on what we can do. And that's built by doing hard things and having a credible sense of self-talk. Huh. Yeah. You, you know, you mentioned skiing, et cetera. And when I, I, and then like reflecting on the workout and something we do in backcountry skiing is end every ski with what, what, well, what could have gone better? What would we change going forward? So you can ask the same three questions after, you know, within a workout reflection afterwards, what, what, well, what could have gone better? How would, how would I change yeah. the next time? Right. Absolutely. Um, and then lastly, you have a training peaks university course, right? Sports psychology should definitely let folks know about, especially coaches that are looking for, um, some more, some more yeah. help in this area. Yeah. So we put this course together, I guess it was, uh, last year. So early 21, and it's just a very broad overview on, um, on what sports psychology is and how it relates to endurance performance. And it's really created with coaches in mind. So thinking about, you know, evidence-based practice, science, right? The literature, the research studies that have been done in this area. Um, there's intentional control, there's mindfulness, there's self-talk, there's motivation, there's all of the key principles. And there's ways to think about embedding it in your coaching practice. And that's that's up on uh, Training Peaks U. So check it out. Very cool. How many, how many hours might that Ooh, course? That's take a really on? great question. If, if I remember correctly, we sort of aimed for, I think there's between 10 and 15 little sections and we kept them relatively mm -hmm. short 10 ish minutes 
per session. So I think the whole thing is going to be under three hours, but it gives you a very good overview of kind of evidence-based best practice, what the research tells us and how to, how to go about embedding this in your coaching. Awesome. Awesome. And, uh, good luck with your upcoming events. Are they mountain bike focus? Yeah. Right? So I'm, I'm riding Leadville this year for the first time and nice. um, I'll be doing silver rush as cool. a tune-up and then potentially the Berlin and London marathons this fall. I haven't, I have entries, but I haven't fully yeah. committed and decided on whether or not I'll do those. Oh, icons, man. Those are biggies. That's so cool. Just to get in them would be great and go Absolutely. do it. The experience alone yep, would be awesome. Indeed, indeed. And they're back-to-back -back weeks this year. And that um, this will be the last year that wow. that happens. London will go back to being an April race next year. But to be able to do them uh, a week apart would be pretty, pretty cool. Wow. Awesome. Hey, thanks so much for all the great advice, uh, especially for helping me out through my time of sickness. And uh, hopefully see you Love to hook up on the mountain bike sometimes. Yeah, so well, maybe I'll be able to keep up with you if you're keeping it zone one and zone two for a while. So that <laughs> sounds good to me. <laughs> well, we'll keep keep it easy. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Doctor Ross. Thank yeah, you so pleasure. much. Take care.